Scientists play a huge part in our everyday lives. Climate change, helping to solve the world's energy problems, improving our health, and as we've experienced throughout the pandemic, saving lives by responding with fast-tracked global vaccines. There are so many other ways we're positively affected by new discoveries. But how are scientists turning breakthroughs into world-changing businesses? It's one thing making a discovery in a lab, but taking that idea and starting and scaling up into a successful business is just as challenging. From encouraging young people into science in the first place to avoiding startup pitfalls and onto growing a business, even becoming a worldwide leader. In this series, we're going to hear from those who've built a successful science business as they share some of their secrets with us. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times, and welcome to the Science of Business. In this episode, we are going to explore the talent challenge. Just how do you build a team and a culture that means your business can thrive? To give us an insight into how one company has done this, we're hearing from Lucy Townsend, Head of People, and Ashley Hazel, Talent Lead, both from Animal Dynamics based in Oxford in the UK. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Lucy, could you tell us a bit about your role within the company and how it's changed over the duration of your time there? Hi, Hannah. It's nice to be here. My role as head of people means I look after the people, basically. I have quite a generalist role. We look after recruiting them, onboarding them, exiting them, paying them, absolutely everything that happens during an employee life cycle. When I first joined Animal Dynamics, I was the first HR person in the organisation. We were about 20 people at the time, so it was a very hands-on role. As we've grown, it's become a much broader role and we've recruited the team. And now we also have specialists in particular areas, such as Ash, who has joined us as a specialist in resourcing and talent. Ashley, how does your role complement Lucy's? As Lucy mentioned, as we mature as a company, it becomes more and more important to invest in our talent strategy. So I'm much more of a micro specialist in the talent space feeding into and supporting Lucy on broader people initiatives. So is a lot of that around the initial attraction and hiring of talent as opposed to once it's in the company and then you how you develop it or is it across the piece? Primarily it starts with working at business level to understand the roadmap so that we can get ahead of priorities. It's the attraction and hiring. I would say modern people teams have a lot more crossover than they used to. So people in talent tend to be less focused on just that hiring piece and actually feed into the talent development processes as well because that's just as important not just who you bring in but painting an accurate picture of how their career will grow. Well before we find out more about recruiting the right people and building a team I went along to your HQ in England to take a look at some of the things you do. It's here at the heart of Animal Dynamics in Oxford that we can start to understand how pulling together the right people brings great ideas into reality. Paul Topping is Business Development Director and is about to let us have a behind-the-scenes glimpse of how the business works. Hello, Paul. Hi. There's lots of marvellous machines and I can't wait to get to find out how they work. But perhaps you could explain a little bit about what exactly Animal Dynamics is. So Animal Dynamics is about seven years old and it came out of the zoology department at Oxford University. The idea of the company 
as it was founded was to use bio-inspired engineering. So not biomimicry, not exactly copying how animals are or look, but taking ideas from how they locomote or perform certain tasks to kind of improve different bits of engineering. You're essentially making drones. Most of the things that we make here are flying, swimming and locomoting drones and they're taking efficiencies and different properties that insects or underwater creatures might have and trying to give the mechanical version an advantage. Different drones that we have here are designed to do surveillance work or search work in search and rescue to go underwater and monitor things but also to carry payloads. I think you've had some venture capital funding and how far through kind of commercialising the proposition are you? For the first uh, five years or so, the company was very much a kind of R&D house. It did lots of small projects for different research organisations. And then in the last couple of years, we've actually tried to take the better ideas that we've had and turn them into at-scale products. We have customers, but we don't have kind of products that we sell at scale. That'll be kind of next year onwards. The biggest of the drones that we make, the Stork STM, which is capable of carrying 135 kilos for 400 kilometres. I mean, it's the size of a small car. It was envisaged as a military resupply vehicle. People cut off, as they have been in Ukraine, for example, soldiers and humanitarian aid being flown through. It's got other applications in agricultural, uh, sort of crop spraying, researching into firefighting with it. Let's see some of these machines and what they can do. This is the um, first project that we did. This is uh, effectively an ornithopter, so it flaps its wings like a, a dragonfly. The original premise was that we'd be able to make a flapping wing vehicle that could fly longer than a, a multi-rotor. Basically, we proved that case out, so we ended up with something that could fly for 20 minutes, carry a small camera payload, and go and snoop at things. And just remind me what this would be used for. The original program was the Nano UAS, drones that could be carried by a soldier and then flown a couple of kilometres forward to scout out a location without any human being put at risk. Do you think something that you have to kind of build into the culture of a company, not being afraid to try new things and really push the boundaries, even though 99% of the time it's probably not going to work out? Yeah, people are curious here. Everybody likes to try doing something different. And there's a mixture of younger sort of multidisciplinary staff and then older, more domain-focused people. It's fascinating seeing what people can do. So what else uh, are we looking at here? So this is a vehicle that we developed to be autonomous in an unusual environment of underwater literal environments. So it's quite easy to make a submarine or something that will swim in the deep ocean. You get gliders that stay out for months at a time. But if you start getting closer to the beach, then you get weeds and sand. Most robotic devices don't like that. And so we try to mimic a ray we spent a lot of time making this carbon fibre silicon composite wing and, you know, it's a metre and a bit across, but it will swim strongly enough that it can pull a human along faster than they could swim. So what kind of company would want to buy one of these? 
This was funded originally by DASA, which is a defence research group. At the moment, what are some of the biggest challenges, would you say, in running and growing a business like Animal Dynamics? The hard thing about what we're doing is that we're building something that no one's made before. And if that's a small, simple machine, then that's a more achievable task here. There's so many different permutations, so we need to build prototypes and see what will work and tune and tweak. We do have a really kind of diverse workforce to meet the different software, hardware, simulation, systems, engineering. There's a lot that goes into it. Most of the staff here, and I obviously think the vehicles are incredibly interesting. I mean, it is a slightly James Bond lab. Everyone here is curious. Everybody's got some weird hobby. Give us some examples. There are lots of people that love flying drones. Some of them, with quite a degree of talent, they like it because they've got the actual sport of flying it, but then they can engineer stuff themselves. Uh, There are people that are into building rockets, like big fireworks. and This kind of type of engineering attracts a type of person that's got quite a creative streak. I mean, I've found a Professor Adrian. The reason that we have a parafoil-wing drone is he was a UK paragliding champion a couple of times and has been involved in a lot of the wing design for the World Championship winning wings, which is uh, kind of where we, where we started there. So, Paul, how big is the team now? Around 80 people now. Ernesto, who runs our electronics division, has been here quite a while, and uh, Mathilde in systems who's, and test, who's been here quite recently. Amazing. So welcome both. Thank you so much for joining us today. So can you just tell us what it is that you spend your days doing? I've joined the company just a month ago and I am in the testing team under engineering where I am coordinating and organising all the flight tests for one of the vehicles we have. Paul and I were just talking about, you know, the moment you kind of see one of these things take flight. We had the first one last week, so it is very exciting when all of these efforts coming from so many people eventually takes off. What is it specifically that excites you about Animal Dynamics? It is, that's its name, very dynamic. I mean, there's more ideas that fuse all around the day. And we are allowed to implement them and test them, which is very nice. And I've got Ernesto with me. Can you tell us a little bit about your role and what you spend your days doing? I have been always working on developing electronics and embedded software for the company. Basically, all the electronics those vehicles are using have been developed in-house by us or integrated by us. So I was quite proud to see two weeks ago when that vehicle started flying with all the electronics developed by us. That was quite amazing. That was quite good. Are there any ways in which it's changed you or things that you've learned that will stick with you? Uh, Absolutely. When I joined the company, you can imagine five years ago, that was a small company with few people. And we grow as a team together. So we learn how to understand each other, how to accept new ideas, even if that looks like crazy ideas. And that's actually what makes us a really good team. There are clearly lots of brilliantly talented people at Animal Dynamics and we heard there from Paul, Ernesto and Mathilde being just three of them. I'm back with Lucy Townsend, Head of People and Ashley Hazel, Talent Lead at Animal Dynamics based in Oxford. Returning to you Lucy, what would you say makes a brilliant team? We look for a team that can communicate well. I think communicating effectively is absolutely vital. They need to be open and receptive to ideas. They need to be able to support each other and resolve conflicts. 
in a tech company, it's really important that a good team is able to work cross-collaboratively as well. We have a lot of multidisciplinary work because people come from different functions and different specialties. For us working in quite an innovative space, it's also absolutely vital that they come with weird and wonderful solutions to problems. We need people with great creative problem-solving skills. And that really helps make a team and allows them all to work effectively together. Does that then mean that you end up with some quite wacky personalities? And how do you kind of manage those? We can do, but I think engineering tends to bring those people who have an element of creativity and an element of practicalness. They're also fairly strong minded on what they want to do. So we try to create a culture that supports them and allows them to develop and thrive with each other. Within Animal Dynamics, we are just forming a culture club, which is driven by the staff to allow them to bring initiatives in that are important to them rather than imposed from on high. How would you describe the company culture at Animal Dynamics? Uh, I would say we have an innovative culture because we're working in a space where there are no easy answers and things haven't been done before. So people need to be able to solve those problems. But we also have a supportive culture. People are looking out for each other. We get a lot of excellent feedback from people onboarding about the support they've received when they join us and the, the support they receive in their roles and from cross-functionally. Most important for us at AD is having a just culture. And I believe that's very pivotal to us operating in an important safety space as well at the moment. It's where we allow people to try things out and experiment and innovate on things, but they're not blamed for failures. Where would you say you are on the kind of skill versus attitude continuum? The skills versus attitude debate is a very difficult one for a company like AD. What we do is we distill and boil down the technical requirements to what is essential, what are the core requirements. People do have to have that minimum level of entry. So a mechanical design engineer needs to be able to use certain CAD packages, do certain calculations and analysis that needs to be there for the role. But outside of that core skill set, we are very willing to learn and develop people who come from different backgrounds, different industries, have different experiences. So we try to blend technical capability with mindset and attitude. And Lucy, I'd like you to chip in there if you can. How has that shifted whilst you've been growing the company? Has it always been that way around that you've had to kind of look for the basic level of skills and then building on that? When you're right at the beginning point that a startup you need people who are willing to join that type of company where it's slightly risky and it's new and there's no real company path at that point so they're taking a step out of potentially the corporate world and moving into that but I don't think it's changed significantly as we've grown we're always looking for people who are skilled and we want highly skilled people if we can get them because we're operating in a highly skilled market so that's an important and we're working on innovative products What I would say that has changed is our focus towards safety and productization. So there's a different skill set that has come into what we're recruiting for. Initially, when you're developing prototypes and really exciting things, you're not necessarily as focused on how this will turn into a product, whereas that has shifted a little bit more for us now. So the skill set has shifted as we've grown, but I don't know that the balance between skills and the softer side has changed that much. However, I think diversity is particularly important to us. So we're not looking for clones of each other. We're not looking for carbon copy people. Diversity in our team is absolutely vital. Lots of research has shown that diverse teams are much more effective because you get diversity of viewpoints and thoughts and you're able to solve those weird and wonderful problems with uh, different perspectives. Yeah, I think we do look for some diversity. 
thinking about diversity in all of its various forms, whether that's gender, ethnicity, kind of socio-economic backgrounds and so on, has that always been kind of at the heart of what you do or is it something that you've built in as you've grown, Lucy? I suspect it's becoming more important to us. It's always been important. Realistically, I would say it becomes even more important as time goes on. Certainly, gender has always been an important point for us because we're very aware that women are underrepresented in engineering generally in the UK. But it's actually something we think about quite frequently and how we can encourage women and support women. But the problem is much broader because obviously it runs through the pipeline from engineering for people choosing to do the appropriate A-levels, to study in engineering at university, etc., to the type of toys girls are exposed to when they're young. But we are a fairly diverse company. We have 17 different nationalities within the company. Uh, you will have heard from a couple of them in the clip earlier. They are able to bring such a wide variety of experience and viewpoints that it's 100% beneficial. And then another episode in this podcast series, we actually went to a primary school to speak to children about their attitude to science and what it was that made them excited and talking about how they might use it in the future. Is there anything that you guys are doing, I don't know, around apprenticeships or training of young people to get them engaged in the world of science? We are connected to the Women in Engineering group at the University of Oxford. It's fairly light touch, but we have some of their alumni, so we like to stay in touch with them. We have also reached out recently and have built a relationship with local secondary school where we intend to be doing some workshops with them to talk about the joy of engineering and how this is an exciting as a potential career path for everybody, basically anybody. There's so much. If you if you like art, engineering is wonderful. If you like science and maths, engineering is wonderful. It's a brilliant career path. But on the topic of apprenticeships, it's definitely something I love. I'm very passionate about apprenticeships. We have apprentices in the company at the moment, but not on the engineering side. And it is something we'd like to explore in the future. At the moment, our apprentices are in the business operations functions. And Ashley, I was wondering if I could draw on you here. So we were talking before about the fact you've worked for lots of startups and scale-ups over the course of your career. How important is it to, as Lucy was saying, get that pipeline in process that you've got the future generations of talent coming through, particularly within areas of STEM? It's absolutely critical because the shortage that we are currently experiencing is probably only going to compound in future. So it's really important that we build engagement with people of that generation, people coming through, deciding on their career paths, so that engineering and, and technology in the UK has a very bright future and has a vibrant pool of people that are engaged and interested in what we're trying to do. But also more broadly, what we're typically very good at as, as a nation as well, which is innovating, developing cool things. Over the years, I've been writing about technology. It's the perennial issue, the tech skills shortage, but it's being felt more widely across a broad range of industries at the moment. So perhaps you could both share a few insights on how you're finding the recruitment market currently and what are the skills it's hardest to recruit for? Yeah, it's a very difficult market. That probably won't be news to anybody already in talent or anybody already working for a tech company. It is very tough at the moment. Specific skill sets, I would say the most challenging center around software engineering, robotics, autonomy, machine learning, AI are probably the, the most in-demand skill sets because those are the areas of technology that have developed most rapidly. So if you go back five, 10 years, they weren't as much of a focus, whereas now they've blown up. Those kind of technologies are baked into everything that 
pretty much every tech company is trying to develop, whether it's a web-based payment system or a drone that flies in the air. And how about you, Lucy? How have you seen, because obviously you've been at Animal Dynamics whilst we've seen this perfect storm. Has it changed? Has it got harder? And obviously you're recruiting at some scale now, so it must just be a constant pressure. I would agree with Ash. I think the newer the technology is, the harder the area is to recruit purely because of volume and pipeline. And there are so many other companies looking for the same skill set. So we come across the types of challenges that you would imagine for a company of our size, where we're not a big player in the field. So we might not be as visible. Our employer brand is not as well known, for example. And those new technologies also evolve so quickly. That means that the next generation have got slightly different skills and you'll need to teach them, etc. So it's a particularly difficult area with the new technologies. And so what would you say is your differentiator? You never know, somebody might be listening to this who would be the perfect employee to come and work with you. Why should they come and work for you rather than one of the other fantastic firms within Oxford? So obviously there are lots of really cool different tech companies out there as close as over the road, but throughout the UK as well. I can confidently say that what we are trying to do and how we are trying to do it, nobody has ever done it that way before. So really for us, it is about finding people that are truly engaged with and believe in what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to get there. Those people will naturally select us. So it becomes more about pushing our message of who we are, how we do things, our approach from the fundamentals right the way through. So as Lucy said, with employer branding so that we get more inbound interest instead of constant proactive outreach to people who get 30 messages a day from tech companies begging them to come and work for them to actually creating that content so people can look at animal dynamics and say wow that's what they're developing that's something that I really want to be a part of. And Lucy how about the packages specifically that you put together are there other things that companies can offer staff besides big salaries? Very much. And it's the environment that you work in. The people that tend to come to work for us want to work somewhere that's really positive. But more than that, they want to work on something that they find interesting, that they're fascinated in, allows them to use all those skills we talked about earlier, like creative problem solving and coming up with the weird and wonderful ideas. So having a great product for them to work on is one part of it. Being supportive of their development is another and we have a career development framework that we use to support people we also have investment in their personal development through learnably for example but also through broader training initiatives and some in-house initiatives Um, and then we just have some other nice things that are about working for a smaller company that you can have you know everybody in the business we have social events people are very friendly and very supportive so it's about the environment that we're able to create And just briefly on hybrid working and ways of working, is that also something that can attract staff and mean that you can attract people from further afield than perhaps you would have done historically? Yes, we learned a lot during the pandemic about hybrid working. We were a co-located company prior to that and then obviously had to become remote pretty quickly given the circumstances. And we spent a lot of time consulting with staff during and sort of as we were coming out of the pandemic into what had worked for them, where things had been effective, what systems we needed to put in place. And it's allowed us to put in place a really flexible policy to support people, supports them from a personal perspective, but also from their career. They're able to develop themselves. They're able to spend some time on their own development. They're able to spend 
more effective ways of working so they don't have to get called to in-person meetings all the time. There's better use of time, etc. And it's allowed people a lot more freedom whilst we do still have a physical product. So it's really helpful for people to come to the building, to be able to see it, to get hands on, to understand the context, etc. It allows us, particularly with certain roles, to look further afield because they're not expecting to be in every day. And Ash, you mentioned earlier the fact that there's talent everywhere. You've got all of these amazing businesses around you. So how helpful is that ecosystem of being located where you are within a cluster of lots of other fantastic science and tech-based businesses? It is both helpful and challenging, I would say. So we are surrounded by engineers, innovators, scientists. We don't actively poach people, but when people are looking at where we're based and located and coming into the office, it is not just our building, but it's an environment of innovation and technology disruption. And that is a real selling point. I've spoken to quite a few people who actually interact with people from other companies on the business park. They have like barbecue days. There's a cafe, Oxford factory on site where the guys go for lunch and they often bump into other people from other engineering companies and talk tech as those guys do. So it's it's fantastic from that point of view. A personal question, if I may, I understand you're relatively new to the company and we were talking just now about the reasons that people might want to go and work for Animal Dynamics. So what is it that makes you so excited? The thing that really excited me above all else, the thing that stands out is that I really believe in the product and the problem statements that the product solves versus competitors currently in the market. And then Culturally, it was fantastic from my conversations with Lucy and Kevin, who's our CEO, who I've actually worked with previously. It just became a very obvious decision for me that the product was fantastic. They're a really exciting point of growth and scaling and the people are great. And Lucy, to you, after all this time, do you still get really excited about the product? And I just wondered, do you ever get to go and see any of the products in action? Oh, yes, we have uh, the museum where you can see them static. We've recently done a flight and the flying test team were there and now everybody wants to go and see it. And we've got video camera from it flying as well. So we've got video footage from it itself. So seeing the, the landscape that it's flying over, but also recording it flying in the air. It is inspiring seeing such a new technology literally taking flight. This series is obviously all about passing on advice and kind of helping other tech and science startups as they grow. Could you both share with us just one tip or one lesson you've learned over the years when it comes to attracting and retaining people to build a brilliant team? The thing that I've always found most beneficial, really bake yourself into the company. Don't get lost in what you're doing as a function within talent and people. So take the time to understand the different teams. Take the time to understand the product roadmap, the engineering programs, the milestones, the tech, the deliverables, and really become a true partner to the company so that you have a voice. When the company is scaling, you have a voice as to what is achievable. And it also enables you to challenge people as well. So talent shouldn't be a function where 10 job descriptions land virtually in your inbox and you just go away and blindly find those people. You should be involved in that strategic thinking as well as the tactical. I would 100% agree with Ash. I'm going to be cheeky and add two, if that's all right. One, which is never remain static. Keep growing. This is particularly important with startups and scale-ups. You don't get to a point and you're done. Um, And the second point is one that I think goes to a lot of 
particularly all support professionals, not just people in talent, but it's communicate, communicate, communicate. If you've communicated something once, you haven't communicated it enough, it can take long for messages to land and you need to make sure that you're repeating messages. And if you want to be bringing people with you, they need to be hearing that repetition and they need to hear the messages and understand communication is absolutely vital absolutely fantastic advice from both of you thank you so much for joining us today that's lucy townsend and ashley hazel from animal dynamics in our next episode i love investing in things that matter so for me as an angel it's really important that whatever the service is is something that i believe in Venture capital is typically going to an institution that has expertise in the sector or area in which your business is in. You've got to have the right sort of capital right out of the gates. It's all very well having a great idea, but next you need to fund your business to make things happen or keep a steady flow of capital coming into your business as it grows. But what sort of funding is best for you? Who can you turn to for investment? And just what are some of the pitfalls? These are some of the things venture partner and innovation expert Sam Jima and Sherry Kutu, a serial entrepreneur, investor and non-executive director, will be talking about. That's in our next episode of The Science of Business. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times. This podcast has been brought to you by ARC, the smarter partner for science, and is a Fresh Air production. Follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.